Peace in Jesus' name, friends. Amen. It's the last Sunday in Lent. Uh, next Sunday is Palm Sunday. It's this celebratory Sunday. The church colors are still going to be purple, but next week their meaning changes. Purple on that day is it's the color of royalty. As we recognize that Jesus came as a king to fight and save his people. But purple, as we use it during the Lent season, has, has another meaning. Because purple pigments and dyes historically were among the most expensive colors to produce, they got this royalty association, right? Because those were the only people who could afford them. But because of that, that cost, the expense involved in their manufacture, uh, gave purple another meaning. Purple came to mean, especially in Christian symbolism, sacrifice because of its cost, somberness, self-reflection. That's why purple is the color for the season of Lent. This is the season when we somberly consider our own personal need for a Savior. We begin this season with ashes on Ash Wednesday to remind each of us of our own sin's cost. Because we are sinners, we will die. Lent confronts us with that truth over and over and over again. We hear Jesus teach in the Sermon on the Mount that spiteful and ungracious words condemn us before God. Anyone who says, you fool to a brother or sister, is in danger of the fire of hell, he says. And we're told to avoid sin, therefore, with total commitment. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus spent three years preaching and teaching that seriousness of sin so that no one could miss the point of his death. He died because of sin and because of sinners. He died for sin and for sinners. He died just as, be, just as he preached for three years. We deserve to die. We needed rescuing. He came to rescue our king. But that message Jesus preached wasn't new. It was the same message announced to Adam and Eve in the garden. God told them a rescuer would come, a champion who was going to defeat their enemy and bring them life. They deserved death, but God wasn't going to sit back and let that happen. We can lose sight of the fact that Jesus' message was the Old Testament's message, which had always been God's message. You, my children, are estranged from me but I will step in and reconcile us. That's the essence of God's message. But we find it stated in different ways throughout the Bible. God used 40 different writers to compose the 66 books of the Bible. And within those books, the words of other people are recorded as well. And as God spoke his message through all those different people, he said the same thing in their voices. When God spoke through the prophet Malachi, from whom we read this morning. It was Malachi's unique voice sharing God's from the beginning message. When Mary sang a song of praise to God in front of her cousin Elizabeth, God used her unique voice to share his promise. I've used this analogy before to think about that. I could, I could write, I love you, on plain paper with a ballpoint pen. I could write it on a whiteboard with a red marker. I could scrawl it in the chalk with yellow, um, with yellow sidewalk chalk. And that doesn't change the message, but it does change its appearance. 
John the Baptist and Jesus shared this same message from God. You are estranged from God, he will save you. But they shared that message in different ways. John was what we'd call an ascetic. Uh, Before he was born, God said that John wouldn't be allowed to drink alcohol. His life was meant to stand out. So he lived in the wilderness and he ate uh, bugs and honey while preaching, repent, the kingdom has come near. You are lost in sin, God is coming to save. Then came Jesus. His first miracle was turning wine into water for a party. He broke with his culture and its traditions by walking on the Sabbath, by eating with tax collectors and sinners. But our first record of his gospel preaching, Matthew 4.17, records that Jesus spoke the exact same words as John. Repent, the kingdom has come near. You are lost in sin. God is coming to save. In our reading today, Jesus tells a crowd a little story, what we call a parable, to illustrate the way he and John shared the same message in different styles. He tells a crowd to picture some kids gathered together to play. And some of the kids are saying to the others, you guys just don't want to play. We put on dancing music and you just sat there. So we started a sad game and you just sat there. This was the response of the people to him and to John, Jesus says. John came living strictly and severely and he was blown off. What a lunatic. Jesus came and went to parties and enjoyed life. Glutton, drunkard, they said. So Jesus throws up his hands and says, you just don't want to play. The problem isn't the message or the messenger, it's you. We're reading this text at the close of Lent because we need to be driven to the same realization. Every year, Lent comes around, and every year we look at ourselves and realize that we are not any less deserving of God's punishment than the year before. We still wrestle with Jesus' call to self-controlled tongues, We think about all the worry and anxiety we try to deal with ourselves rather than bringing it before God. And it's not God's fault, not his message's fault that we continue to struggle. It's our own fault. We hear God's message as John shared it, stark and sharp. Or we hear God's message as Jesus shared it, gracious, generous. And we still fail to play the game to which we're invited. What is that game to which Jesus and John were inviting their hearers? The game is simply life as a Christian. And what is that life? I listen to a podcast called Let the Bird Fly, whose tagline sums up what the Christian life is. Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. That's the Christian life, living freely. Recognizing that Jesus paid the price for all your sins, set you entirely free from the need to earn God's love in a world given back to us. Looking at this world not as a place against we need to build ourselves a fortress for protection. No, we have a mighty fortress in our God. The Christian life is recognizing that we now walk around entirely forgiven, entirely free from the need to create our own righteousness, and in the armor of God's love, we are ready to enjoy anything in his creation which he declares clean and good. Dancing when it's dancing time, crying when it's crying time, all through the faith which the Holy Spirit creates in your heart and builds on the sure foundation that is Jesus your Savior. That's what Jesus and John both wanted their hearers to have. Freedom to live in the world which God created. It's what Jesus still wants us to have as we read his words and John's words and Malachi's words and Mary's words and Paul's words. See how Malachi described that that life. For you who revere my name, God says, 
The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic, play, like well-fed calves. That's the life of, of joy and security that the gospel gives us, friends. Isn't that a neat picture? Two calves born indoors during the winter, cooped up all their lives, suddenly set free in the springtime, and they can't contain their joy. I shared a video on my Facebook page a couple of days ago of exactly that, of some calves whooping it around the farmyard in the spring, and you just can't help but smile at their joy. Throughout the Bible, God had his writers use examples like that, events from everyday life to illustrate his message. And Jesus was the master of this because he paid attention to everything. He was the only person to ever live who truly lived freely in a world that had been gifted to him. He walked around and understood that everything he saw was full of meaning and value. He saw children squabbling in the market and it led him to think about his ministry. And he saw a farmer casting seeds in the field and found the perfect way to describe God's word being shared and its results. He saw fishermen pulling their catch up onto the shore and thought about how it could illustrate the end of the world. Jesus loved this world in which he lived. He loved the people with whom he rubbed shoulders. And he shows us that in everything we have an opportunity to reflect to grow in our understanding of God's one law gospel message. You are estranged from me. I'm coming to rescue. That was something I took away as I prepared today's message. Do I look at the world this way? Do I look outside of myself to see this world as a gift from God? And do I find lessons from him everywhere, illustrating the message that he gives in his word. Jesus encourages us to do so through, through his parables, his teaching, his preaching. Because self-reflection is not something we leave behind when Lent ends. It's not something we leave behind when the church service is over, right? As we walk back out into the world, we're called to reflection and self, self-reflection, repentance every day, every year, all life long. So that's what I tried to put in practice this week. I I tried to walk around with my eyes open to the the patterns and the habits of life to think about how God's message is illustrated by those things. And I have a few examples. I was driving past a school and I saw a kid throwing pine cones up in the air. That was the game. Throwing pine cones, letting them fall, throwing them up in the air again. And I thought about how Jesus watched children play their games and saw an illustration of the way people responded to God's message as he shared it. So I asked myself, do I respond to God's message in that way? Living my life as if it were a game that really only mattered to me. Do I act as if there's nothing really useful I could do with my life and I might as well stand there and throw pine cones in the air for all I matter, for all my life matters? I had a meeting on Tuesday in New York and I had to take the train. And while I was waiting there on the platform, I looked around, and everyone was staring at their phones. No interaction, no chit-chat. There's nothing wrong with that, but it made me think of church. Can our attitude toward church look like we're basically here to catch a train with some strangers? Yeah, we all want to get to the same place, but we're not really interested in anything more than that. One more thing I saw this week. I saw families. I saw people coming together around a, a hurting relative. More than one family, more than one relative. 
I saw self-sacrificing love at work this week. And to be clear, self-sacrificing love, that's a redundant phrase. Right? There can't be love without sacrifice. That's what God makes so, so clear to us by the story that he unfolds for us in the Bible. God loves us. How much? He gave his son a sacrifice. Right? That son, Jesus, loves us. How much? He gave his own life. Family is far and away the most common illustration God uses in the Bible to help us understand his message. Why? Well, not everyone knows what it looks like when calves come out of their winter barn. I didn't. I had to go look at the video. So he, he's not going to use that. And not everyone has seen a farmer out seeding a field. Not everyone sees fishermen pulling up nets. He's not going to use those. But every last one of us comes into this world as a part of a family. And whether yours was a healthy family or not, baked into each of us is the knowledge of what a family should be and the yearning for that. So God uses that. He calls us his children. Himself he calls our father. And he is, of course, everyone's father. We all have physical life from his creating hand. But what he has done is so much more than simply cause life. He provides us with daily bread. He brings us together with brothers and sisters. His words bring peace to our gatherings, give us direction for our lives. And whether the colors in church are, are purple or green or red, whether it's snowing outside or 80 and sunny, whether you're 7 or 70, this life God has given you is your opportunity to hear his forever message. You were separated from God. He has reconciled you. He has placed you in this world as part of his family. And here's the direction that our Father has for us from our second reading, that we love one another. Let us give from what God has given us for one another's benefit. That's love. And it's what God has always said comes as the result of hearing his one message. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. To that command, in Lenten always, we say amen.